The following is presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Lady, don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxurious thing. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, a new category we're calling pandemic realness, where we experience the disintegration of society as we know it. We cover it all. This podcast is based in Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and reconstruction. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. The reality of what it looks like on the ground when you are essentially not only being penalized for getting access to your constitutional right, you're also at risk for being criminalized. Our guest this week is making her second appearance on the pod. And let me tell you, it is not a moment too soon. She's the president of Planned Parenthood Action Fund, Planned Parenthood's advocacy and political organization. She is a champion for racial justice a respected political organizer, and a tireless advocate for reproductive freedom. She also my friend, and we're so happy to have you on the pod today. Please welcome back Alexis McGill-Johnson. Hey! Hey! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here, especially in light of all the bullshit that is going on right now. But before we jump into all that, let's talk pandemic realness. This is like my new category of like what happens. The category is. The category is pandemic realness. And what that is, is like, what do you fucking do when society is disintegrating around you? (laughs) Right? Like, what are we doing here? So let me ask you, it's been a while since we had you on the pod. Back then we were like in and out of lockdown. Now we're just um, in an endemic. We're just in the shit for a while. So I got to ask you, (laughs) what has your endemic life been like? How are you navigating the longevity of this podcast? Uh, (laughs) How are you navigating the longevity of this pandemic of which this podcast is a part? All those things. How are you doing, basically? I am, you know, I am here. I am, I think I turned into 2020 like turn the corner into the year with a different endemic mood. Mm-hmm. Um, I got COVID over Christmas, actually on December 17th. So oh, I honey. missed it with my family. I had to FaceTime into, you know, unwrapping and everything. Mm. But I also had that end of year time to just be by myself. Actually, I keep saying like, you know, COVID not be, notwithstanding, I actually had the best kind of window just to 
be, to reflect. I know everybody talks about self-care. I talk about it. I never do it. And it was really like, that is what I'm, I'm taking into the endemic with me. And, you know, and I, and I feel like that's the energy we need going into the end of, you know, abortion rights, the end of democracy, um, the end of life as we know it, the asteroid that's flying by us right now, like all these things, right? Mm-hmm. It just feels crazy. Well, it is certainly wild. Um, have you developed any new skills over the course of Miss Rona? And now she brought her cousins and now her baby daddy over here, crip walking all over the country. I mean, any new skills that Miss Rona or her family has given you? Um, not new skills that I currently have, I would say, but I have really been thinking a lot about dark arts <laughs> that we need to survive oh, over yeah. the next year and thinking about what am I going to bring, um, um, as you always say, into the apocalypse. Oh, like, yeah. you know, to me, I feel like thinking about how we got here and thinking about how at every turn folks in the opposition have just weaponized rules changes with abandon unapologetically. Like that is the, that's the skill set that I I feel like I need to dig deep and, and think about right now. Ashe, well, you know what? I have been really marinating on, that's such a Bay Area term, we marinate. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm still holding on to it. Uh, I have been marinating on the disintegration of society as we know it. And for some people that would throw you into a crippling depression, and if it is throwing you into a crippling depression, I understand. For me, it's actually a motivator. I think that while chaos and crisis is certainly not my brand, it does force us to think about what can be built out of the rubble, out of the ashes. Absolutely. And speaking of building some shit out of the ashes and the rubble, we have a lot of rubble to go through. So right now, that's right, right now, as we speak, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments that could actually effectively end a woman's right to access health care on her own terms. Can you give us the layperson's version of what the hell is happening here? So the Supreme Court heard arguments in um, a case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Jackson Women's Health Organization is the only abortion provider in the state of Mississippi. There is only one in the state. And what was really clear, the what they were arguing against was a, a 15-week ban um, that clearly the majority of justices seem poised to let go into effect. Um, they also, and I would say a significant majority felt, the six out of nine felt that they would let that ban take effect. There was also a simple majority, five out of the nine justices, who were explicitly talking about overturning Roe as part of this case, right? This is a case that completely could unravel Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And so we have never been closer to losing this fundamental right. And what we are seeing is that either the court could overrule Roe and Casey, which would mean that 26 states would move to ban abortion fairly in short order, maybe within inside of a year. Uh, there are about 36 million people in those states without a provider. And we know they are largely going to be people of color, people non-binary, people who are low-income, um, who would have to travel across multiple states just to access, in some cases, medication abortion. Or they could refuse to explicitly overrule Roe and just let the Mississippi ban stand at 15 weeks, which would mean they would be essentially decimating nearly 50 years of precedent, encouraging many other states to similarly limit abortion. And don't forget, we are now, you know, over 100 and something days 
with a six-week ban in Texas that has taken effect, which has effectively rendered access meaningless. Mm. Can we just give people a sense of what that means? Because honestly, healthcare as a whole is in deep, deep crisis in this country. I think a lot of people obviously associate Planned Parenthood with abortion and wrongfully so, right? The majority of services, hello people, let me just say this again, turn up the volume. The majority of services that Planned Parenthood offers is healthcare, healthcare, okay? Healthcare, like it is not true that people are accessing abortions like from a vending machine. That's just hyperbole. (laughs) It's not fucking happening. I promise you it's not happening. But I want people to understand real talk, real talk, what this actually has looked like on the ground. When we talk about enacting 15-week bans, people go, well, okay, but you could get it in 15 weeks, before 15 weeks, whatever. I mean, as long as, you know, you get in that window. But can you give people a sense on the ground, like, What does that actually look like? Because people are already starting from a deficit. So what does it actually mean when we start uh, shrinking, right, people's access based on fairly arbitrary timelines like these ones? Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, Planned Parenthood, I, th- I appreciate you pointing out, we do, we provide a range of healthcare services. Abortion is healthcare. And that is, is something that we proudly provide. Right. Um, we are also part of a an abortion provider ecosystem. There are a number of independent providers who also provide and actually provide, in many cases, up to more uh, gestational weeks. So what we're talking about is, is at risk of decimating the world of abortion provision, not just, you know, provision that happens within, within our context. And the provider in Mississippi is an independent provider. So even if that provider is allowed to provide um, abortions at 15 weeks, it's still the only provider, right? And it means that people, as we are seeing currently um, in Texas, who are having to travel after six weeks, which I remind you is two weeks after a missed period, most people don't even know that they're pregnant at that time, um, it means that they have to travel out of state. It means they um, may have to take off work and get up the funds to travel They may have to travel to another state that has uh, a requirement that you have to come in, you know, within a, see the same doctor within a 72-hour period. So you have to make two trips or you got to, you know, get a hotel room or sleep in your car. It means that you may have to get, you know, a caregiver because, you know, the majority of people who have abortion are already parents, right? So they will, you know, have to figure out whether or not they need to pay for care or bring their children with them. They may have to bring their parent with them, um, elderly parent traveling through, you know, this endemic that we continue to live in. So, you know, the reality of what it looks like on the ground when you are essentially not only being penalized for getting access to your constitutional right, you're also at risk for being criminalized, right? Because you are taking yourself out of into an, another state, into another zip code, um, into another community where you could be otherized and um, and treated as such, right? And so I think that the reality of what's happening to people on the ground right now that we see playing out in Texas um, is, I think, uh, an important potential, you know, prologue for what, what we could see in 26 states um, around the country. It just strikes me that there is a whole backstory to this. Now, for a lot of people who turn off the news because it is just too overwhelming, I feel like we're almost back to 2020 levels where it's like, I just can't watch this anymore. Luckily, that's why we have this podcast. So you can spare your eyes and your ears and I will do the digest for you. So 
I want to dive into the backstory. There's a, a whole movement behind what we're seeing right now. This movement has been kind of marching along for the better part of the last 30 years. Um, and you might be asking yourself, right? Like, why abortion specifically? I know I've been asking myself, well, like, yeah, why abortion? But also this is like coupled with a renewed frenzy around trans people and what bathrooms folks use and, you know, whether or not trans folks can play on sports teams. Like, what is the incentive for an extremist conservative movement to really lock in on these particular topics? Why these things and not, you know, GMOs, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, climate change. Like, why aren't they in a frenzy around marijuana reform? I mean, John Boehner is out here making hella money. I'm like, why can't y'all focus on that? No, they want to keep trans people from using bathrooms that affirm their identity. They want to keep trans people from playing sports. They want to keep you from being able to access health care. Why are they honing in on these particular issues? I think what I would add to that uh, set of issues is also voting rights, right? Because I don't, I, I don't think that you can look at the um, intent to control our bodies, to control our freedoms, to control our expression of ourselves at the same time that they are using the same pens to force disenfranchisement, to gerrymander us out of meaningful representation, to institute undemocratic voting restrictions. Like these actions literally put every liberty interest under the 14th Amendment on the line and, you know, I look at it like the modern day three-fifths compromise, right? Mm -hmm. Like when our bodies are convenient to create a district, when our bodies are convenient for representation, they will organize in one way um, around laws. And when they see uh, the impact of that power, they will further cut the restrictions so that we can't express it. Um, you know, that is where I feel like, you know, we need to understand that this moment and we know that the opposition to abortion is rooted in, you know, white supremacy, kind of racist, um, strange bedfellows that were initially organizing in an evangelical community that was initially wanting to organize around segregation as policies. Um, when they realized politically that wouldn't be expedient, they discovered that abortion was polling well, and they were able to essentially use it as a proxy to push through decades now worth of you know, laws that continue to impact and marginalize uh, communities of color, and particularly people who could be pregnant. And so it's not inconsistent, you know, to your point. Uh, there is a strong through line to all of these issues, and they're, they're about control. How do we understand the impact that this movement has had on the Supreme Court? One of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing for our conversation is that, you know, this movement, this extremist conservative movement has really been playing to win. And the Supreme Court is the highest law of the land. And we are now turning on our televisions to hear these arguments. And we hear Amy Coney Barrett, right, saying all kinds of bizarre out of this galaxy type of things. Um, the kind of thing where if you were sitting next to her at a coffee shop, you'd be like, Wait, girl, what? What? This is this is where I would put on my noise canceling headphones, right? Like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> right? We're watching um Chief Justice, right? Um, what's that damn man's Roberts. name? Roberts. Yeah, you know, yeah. he he out here doing all the things. And then of course, 
you know, the man that made everybody turn up in 2019, right? Uh, Brett Kavanaugh also saying a whole bunch of bizarre ass shit. These are the people (laughs) who are the final say in this country. How do we understand the significance of the power play that this movement has made? And how might we understand how it's going to unfold over the next 10 years, the next 20 years, and beyond? Yeah. I mean, a power play is exactly what it is, but it is a power structural play, right? And I think we have to separate out the difference between people who are passionate about an issue because, you know, people are passionate about protecting access to um, sexual and reproductive health care, passionate about protecting abortion. There is literally no state in the union where banning abortion is popular. And yet what we've seen, particularly over the last decade, and I go, I just go back to the 2010 Congress when I got involved in the work and we saw, many of us saw the shifting landscape because, in fact, the the states, the, it was a census year, right? They were able to redraw, uh, gerrymander all of these congressional districts, and they swept the state houses in that process as well. And so you have this vocal minority that is willing to use the levers of power in a way that is inconsistent with where their voters are. You take that foundational structure over the last decade, and then you take somebody like Mitch McConnell, who, you know, in 2008 said, you know what, I guess it's a precursor to the census um, taking, we're going to obstruct every single thing about this presidency. We are going to obstruct anything that is even reasonable. We are not going to let this president succeed. And he pushed, particularly with the momentum after 2010, he kept a a Supreme Court nominee for, what, over 10 months in, in Merrick Garland. We saw him then, with the next administration, focus relentlessly on rules changes for judges, putting over 200-something conservative judges, some of whom don't even believe, like, like, get abortion, right? You want to say that that is out of mainstream. What about IVF? Judges who don't even believe in IVF, mm-hmm. don't believe you should, anybody should have any control over their bodies. This is the kind of insanity of people who are now on the bench for life in that pipeline all the way up to uh, to pushing these three justices through um, onto the Supreme Court. So I think that people see this passion for on the on the you know opposition as as being one that at every turn they just they were so focused on the courts or they were so focused on on winning, uh, but they also had these structural um, levers underneath them that they were willing to weaponize out of you know consistent ways in which we normally use. Um, these democratic levers uh, to push their agenda. Mm. And so when I say, like, I want some dark arts, I want I want to see what that feels like, you know, to say, when we have power, we are going to use it to ensure that we are, you know, not building consensus, because we already have the consensus, that we are actually using it to drive meaningful change in communities. And that's where I think we are, we are not winning. Um, and that's the road that we have to build for the next 20 years. And can we talk about this? Because, you know, Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord, (laughs) Lord. So I spent the weekend making a conscious choice that I was not going to let this president raise my blood pressure just for three days, just for three days. You know, you can have the rest of the fucking year, but like right now I need to focus (laughs) and figure (laughs) out what are we going to do to pick up the slack where y'all really... Anywho, 
Um, and I, I guess I, I, I'm I'm thinking about this conversation that we're having as a nation right now about voting rights and democracy rights, which really um, we're pretty late in the game having this conversation right now. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about 2022. This is a midterm election year. You would think, you would think that in January, what we would be doing coming off an incredible set of victories led by Black voters who led a multiracial coalition to literally change the balance of power in the U.S. Congress, switch out yes. and air out who was in the White House, honey. I mean, this could have kicked off a whole... Um, rolling tide, shall we say, of victories yep. across the country had we only prioritized the things that matter to everyday people. Oh, I don't know, for the last fucking 12 months? Well, my friend, we are not there. And in fact, um, we were kind of playing the politics of the 1990s, even though we are very much in 2022. <laughs> um, whole new generation, basically. I guess my question for you, Alexis, is as we look at the rubble <laughs> and we really need a phoenix to rise from the ashes because it's not just about what happens in 2024. It's about the future of this nation. And I'm not saying that hyperbolically. I'm saying this movement is actually poised to win. And if they win, honey, <laughs> mm -hmm. it ain't four years. It ain't six years. It's more like 25, 30 years. So yep. what should we be keeping in mind as we go into this incredibly tricky terrain, especially as it relates to how we both play politics, but how we move real people to actually believe that government could maybe really mm -hmm. finally do something for you? Maybe? <laughs> it's such a good question. I know, right? I was like literally physically trying to move the rubble out of you the know? way. You know, like something's in there. Out. Something's in there. <laughs> Something is in there. I'm looking for the mm -hmm. for the for the feather of the phoenix. Um, right. But you know what? Like, I think that it goes back to something you said around the the choices that we are we can make around kind of falling into the depression and the loss of the democracy. And I think a lot about that. I think a lot about it as what it means right now as a black woman to essentially be presiding with other women of color at the top of reproductive rights, health and justice organizations, you know, our collective presiding over the end of Roe, right? What does it mean that we are now in leadership presiding over the end of Roe? And that like was like, mm. you know, and uh, the critique is valid, you know, shit's all broke, you know, mm -hmm, to be damned. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, no I, I don't please. Know I no, you certainly can curse <laughs> on this podcast. Exactly. We doing whatever it the fuck we want over here, honey. Broken. The world is ending. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is ending. And they're like, here. Yeah. Here you go. Can you fix that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a couple buttons fell off. Right. It's going to be all right. And and at the same time as like, some, I think sometimes demoralizing as that can feel, it's also like, but you know what? You're right about something because we have to be asking ourselves and maybe we are the only ones who can be asking ourselves, who are we going to be when we are no longer defending a law that was not actually helping us all together, right? All of us in, in, in all states, Right. Um, so who are we when we're going to be reimagining the reconstruction of Roe um, and grounding it in something that is not about arbitrary gestational weeks, that's about privacy or burden, that is actually really truly about equality and truly about freedom? And how do we build that into a structure, right, that is going to help ground us in a way 
for the next 20, 30 years. I mean, like, that's the thing that that motivates me every day. If I, you know, look at the dumpster fire and the rubble and the, you know, quite frankly, the impact of what what's happening right now in Congress that that just on the on the precipice of being able to protect, you know, voting rights from the tyranny of the minority, mm-hmm. you know, and and yet knowing, you know, that 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 is still going to be a hurdle that we have to now reimagine um not just what where this right lives, but also how we actually build and defend the the structures and institutions to keep it, you know, alive. I'm just um, struck by something you just said, and it reminds me a lot of a comment that I heard from our sister, Latasha Brown. She was really preaching, honey, this weekend. That is yes. like one of the yes. hardest working women in this Ooh. whole damn land. Um, and she was on the stage this weekend in D.C., um, really putting it down for folks about what was at stake. And she reminded me of something that as a historian, right, I I know But I needed to hear this at that moment. She essentially said, you know, there was a time when we won voting rights, before we won voting rights, when at that exact moment, people, decision makers were like, it ain't happening, like over my dead body type shit, right? (laughs) Like Confederacy or bust. Yes, yes, that's right. Really out here. And folks were marching and they were protesting and they were sitting in and still these cats were like, no forward motion. And yet, what did we have? Forward motion. And why did we have it? Because we believed that the victory was yes. ours. Yep. You know, in this moment, Alexis, um, I'm watching the Supreme Court. And like I said earlier, it's not an elected body, right? We can't use the same kind of rhetoric around this body that we use with, you know, people that we actually elect to represent us <laughs> because it's appointed by Congress on the recommendation of the president. So given that, given those unique dynamics, what is it that people who are listening can do to make their voices heard? Because there is something that people can do. Let us know what it is. Yeah. I mean, look, the courts, there there still are seats that have to be filled on the courts, right? They they have to continue to be a, um, a priority for this administration. And and I think to the point of the intersection of all the issues, making sure that we are pushing the administration to to pick more federal judges, you know, including more black women in circuit courts, all the, all the things that we know we're going to be critically important for driving that. I think that adding seats to lower courts um, reforms um, that will help strengthen kind of ethics laws and and I think really get digging deep into the paths to Supreme Court reform are all things that are long-term important and on the table. Um, clearly, we need to be focused on our senators right now before this vote to make sure uh, that they understand what is at stake for them, that you can't they cannot be, you know, speaking, you know, as, as my mom would say, out both sides of their Listen. neck. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Not that say is, I that's support. That's a black <laughs> adage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You can't be saying I support freedom and I support abortion rights and I support this and this mm-hmm. and this. And also I don't support repealing right. the filibuster. You cannot be you know, all things this. to everybody. Mm-hmm. You take a stand. And not do take it. A take a stand. And people need to show that that is going to have um, there be political consequences. And, you know, look, I mean, it is the hard work that we are going to have to do watching this happen and also really focused on 22 and the midterms and saying we have got to, we still have to 
not lose it all in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's we still have to some really important work that we have to do to continue to to protect the rights that we do have. And I think we've seen it very clearly the last four years of how quickly our rights and our democracy can be undermined. And so while it's not a not a perfect save, it is, I think, important that people stay engaged in that way. Ashe. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady just ain't going to do this week. All right, y'all. So number one is not run the ball down the field when it comes to voting rights. Well, folks, you heard this already, but the United States Senate failed to amend the rules that would have allowed for the freedom to vote bill to pass by a simple majority. This isn't new news in the sense that A, the filibuster going filibuster. And what I mean by that is that anyone trying to protect racism is going to support the filibuster as a tool to do so. B, we knew that Senators Manchin and Cinema, in particular are more worried about their GOP and corporate donors than they are protecting your right to participate. And C, too little time was spent putting pressure on these clowns by the president you elected to do exactly that. Get things done. That's what he campaigned on. His skill at bringing people together and getting things done, having been a United States senator himself for the better part of four decades, and then being the whole ass vice president of the United States for eight years. There are many places to lay blame here. Obviously, we distribute blame between the obstructionists on the Democratic Party side, Republicans, but of course, we already knew they don't want people to participate because they don't have a mandate to lead. So they prefer to strong arm it instead. But I can't lie. I'm mad as hell at this president. I mean, bruh, you had one key job, and that was to keep it so that your strongest base can still be powerful at the polls. So you people keep your jobs, and we get something out of you keeping that job. Yeah. This was an epic fumble brought to you by refusing to govern from the land of the 2020s rather than hearkening back to your heyday, which we think you think was in the 1990s. Now, the world has changed a lot since then, sir. We're dealing with a whole new ball game right now, and it is long past time that people stop romanticizing what y'all used to do, which is play out some weird version of Mad Men, smoking cigars and drinking in the middle of the day while making compromises. Now it's time to cue Beyonce's Get Me Bodied and handle business, because for show. It's a crisis, and it ain't going to be solved by appealing to some good old boy morality. There are no more good old boys. You got a problem in your own ranks, and you'd be smart to solve that shit and quick. And get as much done as you can by June. Otherwise, this whole shit is going down in fucking flames. Oh, and while you're at it, y'all need to be talking to Black people like yesterday about how you done fucked up, but you going to try to fix it. You know, baby, baby, please, all that shit. Um, you'd be dumb as fuck to think black folk finna come out in droves without some substantive attention. Keyword being substantive. But you don't hear me, though. I mean, what the fuck does lady know anyway? I've only been talking about this shit for the better part of a year now, but anyway. 
Other things that Lady just ain't going to do this week is volcanic eruptions in Tonga triggering tsunami warnings. Anybody listening see the movie Don't Look Up? Well, number one, it's excellent, and Lady highly recommends it. I mean, it's giving us doomsday with comedy, and truthfully, that's really the only way to absorb the whole thing, which is sobering as it is laugh-out-loud hilarious. Now, why is Lady talking about this? Well, because for one... Lady watched that movie, loved it, went to sleep, and woke up to the news that not only was there a volcanic eruption in Tonga that shot ash into the sky in such a serious way that planes could not fly because no visibility, but the eruption triggered tsunamis around the island nation, which also meant ash was falling from the sky and floodwaters were rising at the same fucking time. Now, early reports noted that ash was shot more than 63,000 feet into the air, which is higher than most planes can even fly. Not only did this cause all kinds of chaos in Tonga, it triggered tsunami warnings for the entire West Coast. I mean, that's how strong that was. Now, first, Lady has to admit that waking up to this news after watching this movie really just resigned me to saying, you know what, bury me a G because this too much. But also, and more importantly, I'm shocked and appalled at how little information or news we've been getting about what's happening there and what we can do to support. For folks with family members and loved ones in Tonga, it's also been hard to connect. Internet was knocked out, power was lost, and it was difficult to communicate. Three people have been confirmed dead. There is extensive damage across the island. Infrastructure has been severely impacted. And due to ash, emergency aid is delayed. Now, Lady will certainly keep you updated as we get more information. And in the meantime, check on your Tongan homies and ask what they need. I mean, imagine how fucking frustrating it is to know your loved ones need support and still be waiting to hear from them because everything is down. All right, prayers up for Tonga, y'all. Next thing that Lady just ain't gonna do this week is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. 48 years ago this week, Roe v. Wade became the law of the land. Now, for those of you who don't know about Roe v. Wade, it is the landmark Supreme Court decision that said the right to choose to have an abortion without undue government interference is protected by the Constitution. Now, as you heard in this week's episode, this decision is directly under attack. And for all intents and purposes, the recent decisions of the Supreme Court are undermining this decision to such a degree that this could be the last year that Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. We hate to see it, which is why we are gearing up to fight like hell. Now, Lady was watching Joy Reid today, and honestly, she said it best. The only way to change what's happening in this country is to keep working on changing the balance of power. We all want things to happen immediately, and we are understandably disappointed and hella fucking mad when we change a little bit of something, but it's not enough to change the whole thing. But that's the reason that you keep working to change it, because too much is at stake, including the right to make decisions over your own damn body to concede any more anything to these people who are determined to go back to the dark ages. All right, enough depressing shit, y'all. Here is what we want more of this week, please, and thank you. Number one, black holes creating stars. Oh, my God. For Lady, this qualifies as some of the coolest news of the week. 
which is that NASA scientists discovered that 30 million light years away, in a dwarf galaxy, Hina's 210, in the southern constellation Pyxis, there is a black hole that instead of gobbling up stars, is creating them. Now, Lady doesn't really understand shit about astronomy, but she knows enough to know that this is something really special, especially as a metaphor for what's happening in life right now. I mean, imagine a place that is known for gobbling up light, instead allowing light not only to flourish, but for a firestorm to be created of stars. Dude! Now, Lady thinks of this place called America as somewhat of a black hole, if you will, preventing light from really shining. Now, maybe this is our work, shifting the atmosphere in this black hole to create light rather than keep it from ever coming forth. It's kind of nice to think about especially on these dreary-ass days. Other things Lady loves this week. I mean, look, on next week's episode, we're going to have to have an entire debrief. Like, the whole shit is going to be a debrief on And Just Like That and the new season of This Is Us and the new season of Ozark. So stay tuned, because we got a lot to talk about. Alexis, I love having you on. Honestly, I got to say, I'm feeling hopeful. Um, One thing I do know is that we always have a play. So I'm constantly in this this interplay, right, of like looking soberly at the conditions that we face. I believe in saying we're losing as a way to motivate you to get your shit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I really do believe that people who can get pregnant could really turn the tide in this country just off being pissed the fuck off. There's somebody trying to tell you what you can and can't do. I feel like we need to have the same kind of energy that these folks do for like government intervention. I want to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want extreme conservative intervention in my life. Y'all do what you want to do with your family, but you ain't finna do it with mine, honey. Check this out. That is what America was built on. Alexis, tell us how we can get you on the socials. Yes, absolutely. Um, On Twitter, I am at Alexis McGill. Planned Parenthood, you can follow at P-P-A-C-T, P-P-A-C-T. And act is what we have to do. We got to get it out. Let's go. Now that's it for Lady Don't Take No, but I will be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where we don't even fucking know if you commuting again. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but there's a good chance you might be. We appreciate you joining us and please let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook or Meta or whatever the fuck we're calling it now at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. And as always, let's give a special shout out to Jahari Farrar for making sure that the people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. 
Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Laterix. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, there's cleanup needed by the Biden administration on aisle. How the fuck Democrats gonna win without Black people? This literally might be the last year of Roe v. Wade, but it definitely should not be the last year we fight like we plan to win. And black holes creating stars rather than preventing them is probably the coolest thing thus far of 2022. And Lady is most definitely trying to get on that level. That's right. I said it because Lady don't take no. Lady don't take no. She insists on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Bye, y'all. Luxurious. Carries herself like the cutest most.